Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Unbelievable one hitter quitter from the great six foot nine gypsy king Tyson Fury to deposit and finish Dillian White to the canvas on Saturday, London's Wembley Stadium, 94,000 and a resounding defense of his lineal and WBC heavyweight championship. My name is Brian Campbell. This is the morning combat instant reaction live analysis to all things Fury White. And what is next for the Gypsy came a little bit of a missed message, uh, mixed message, if you will, afterwards. Is he going to retire? Is he going to chase big money? What is next for Tyson Fury? We're going to break all that down and then some tall, pale and handsome. It is your boy, BC. If you're new to the award winning morning combat, it is myself and Luke Thomas three days a week. Live shows on YouTube.com slash morning combat. And of course, interviews and in and, and moments like this. Big fight analysis right in the moment. Be sure to like and subscribe, but let's get right to it. You could not have had more of a raucous scene for the return of the 33-year-old Fury who knocked out Deontay Wilder last October to close out their trilogy bout, but took the big cash offering to come back to his home country, entertain the London fans. He got paid upwards of $30 million. He took home that $4.1 million or so bonus that was dictated in the terms of this deal. But much bigger things to talk about for Fury here, not just his future, but where he's knocking on that door, climbing that ladder. What other cliches can I use in terms of all time heavyweight royalty? Yes, the unbeaten Tyson Fury is is closing in. And this performance right here really, uh, you could argue, was the very best uh, of who Tyson Fury is and what he has become. And that's the key part of it. What he has become. Tyson Fury's career and personal life has been a roller coaster. It's been all over the place. But the ver version of Tyson Fury who upset Vladimir Klitschko seven years ago to commandeer three of four heavyweight titles, that's such a far different man from the fighter he has become, specifically in recent years, under the tutelage of Sugar Hill Stewart, the nephew of the late great Emmanuel Stewart of Kronk, Jim Fame in Detroit. And you saw that in this fight. So what do we have here? We had a, a title defense, a mandatory one for the interim WBC champion, White, who's won 12 of 13, was the most deserving to crash this heavyweight title party, which, of course, this overall picture still includes Alexander Usyk, who has three of four major world titles after his upset of Anthony Joshua. It still includes Wilder, some of those other big names that we talk about. But Dillian White may have been the most unheralded. He did have a chance to make some noise in this fight. The problem was Tyson Fury just never gave him an opportunity to. Round one, we saw an interesting wrinkle 
and Dillian White opening up southpaw, surprising all of us and forcing Tyson Fury to switch it around to start round two at southpaw. I like some of the things I saw from Dillian White early, the jabbing to the body, some of the mixture of what he was trying to do. But really from round two on, when White settled back into that orthodox stance, you saw what makes Tyson Fury brilliant. I mean, he's a freak of physical nature to begin with. He's six foot nine. He's got what, an 85 inch reach, something absurd like that. But he's always been quicker than the average heavyweight, much quicker. And his IQ in his mind is, is, you know, a 10 out of a 10. You mix that with the fearlessness, the toughness. And when he is on point, when he is dialed in as he was tonight, man, talk about the, the heavyweights of this era. Talk about the heavyweights of all time. It's hard to fight a guy like this who is able to control distance so perfectly. How did Fury do that? He did that with his big jab, certainly. He did that with stinging white enough with clean counter shots, the right crosses, the, that looping left hook, to sort of give White pause on entering into that close territory to try to make this what would have been Dillian White's only chance to win by making this a fight, not a boxing match. What Fury was able to do was not only use boxing to commandeer that space and control that, that distance between them, but anytime White looked to step over that line, anytime he looked to load up on big shots, Fury saw them coming and could dodge out of the way. But I think more importantly, when Dillian White was able to close distance on the ropes, muck it up, make it a more of a grappling match, you saw Fury using his natural advantages, his height, his strength, to lean on White, keep him down, hold his arms, and really close all avenues of potential victory. Now, before the finish in round six, I started to get a little frustrated, uh, not as a super fan of Dillian White, but understanding what he brings to the table and how he could potentially upset the apple cart and make this interesting fight. And it was going to have to be more than what he was doing. What he was doing was one punch at a time and typically getting countered clean by fury. Really the only successful thing that white was doing from rounds two to six until the end of it was slipping in body shots here and there, which is from, you know, the idea is to slow fury down, weaken him, so that when White eventually closes that distance, he has a chance to use his power, his durability, his size to make some thunder happen. He just never got close enough. And, and as frustrated as you can get, if you wanted White to get close enough, whether you're betting on him, whether you just want to see as competitive fight possible, it was impressive to see how much Fury, the ring general, just completely controlled him. And like I said, it was times using the footwork and the IQ and the countering but sometimes it was just out mauling the mauler. Sometimes it was just, oh, you're trying to bring the dirty style to me to make this a fight. I'm going to stop everything you're doing. So that that what started was Fury not, any, not only holding White, leading with his forearms. You saw he cut White above the right eye. I believe that was round three. But I think round four really saw an early strong statement from Fury. That was when White was most aggressive to lock up with him, to try to maul him, to try to do anything to break up the, the, the narrative and rhythm of this fight. And you saw Tyson Fury just be as dirty or worse to the point where referee Mark Lyson clearly was losing control of the end round four. They got into Fury's corner. You saw Fury's brother, Shane, who's often a hothead, often out of control, throw a, uh, you know, water from, from a bottle into the corner because he thought Dillian White was using rabbit punches and, and it looked like he was. But what the closing statement you got from that round four sequence and the craziness is anytime White was close to doing something, landing a clean punch, cheating, right? Uh, effective cheating to try to close the gap. 
Fury could just one up him with something better to keep himself preserved, to keep himself at distance. And that's the new Tyson Fury, right? The new Tyson Fury is the guy who delivered the knockout punch in round six, which I'm going to get to in a second. But the new Tyson Fury who transitioned away from trainer Ben Davison initially upon his comeback. You remember the, the crowning moment of Tyson Fury's early comeback in late 2018 was that dr disputed draw he had against Deontay Wilder in their first of three fights. That's Ben Davidson's tutelage. That's the defensive slick teaching. But Fury stopped wanting to be that. Why? Because we're in a era of crazy, dangerous, offensive super heavyweights. Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua. Fury knew that if he's going to be the heavyweight of this era, which I don't care that he only has one of the four belts, he is the heavyweight of this era at the moment until he loses, until somebody can solve this. He was going to have to alter his game to really, for the first time, use that six foot nine frame to his advantage. Like it, it's, it's, I don't want to belabor this point, but the Tyson Fury pre 2019, 2020, never known as a power puncher. He wasn't. He didn't sit down on his shots. His shots weren't enough to really move people. Yeah. You know, he knocked out Steve Cunningham and blown up cruiserweight, although he did sort of lead with a right forearm to get there. But what you're seeing and why it was important for him to join forces with Sugar Hill Stewart and change trainers on the midst of this comeback rise was he needed somebody that was going to teach him the ways where when the fight's in the balance, take it into your own hands and get rid of that dangerous opponent. And that's exactly what Fury did in round six. But I don't think Fury gets to that point in round six without navigating those waters a couple rounds earlier. Of any time White's trying to be dirty, of any time White is trying to get close enough to load up with one big shot, Fury's defense was on point but he was meaner than white. He was dirtier when he needed to. And that all set the stage for round six, where it, it was apparent at the midway point that Fury was pulling away from with this fight. He was piling up rounds. I had it five rounds or four rounds to one in favor of Fury entering the six, a round that he looked to be on his way to winning. Uh, I gave Dillian White the opening round, although it was very close and not much happened. I saw many people on social media had White in a clean shutout across the board. That's more than acceptable. But at that midway point, you're saying to yourself, okay, the game plan is still the same for Dillian White. Unless you can get inside, unless you can slow Fury down with one big shot to either win it or change the, you know, the 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 direction that this fight is heading, he's not going to have a chance. I never expected Tyson Fury to do what he did, right? Get Dillian White out of there with one punch. I never expected him because I predicted a Fury win, but a Fury win with some damage, maybe a knockdown, maybe have to rally back at times against an un, you know, underrated guy in Dillian White. He just absolutely dominated him really from start to finish after a close-ish first round because White went southpaw. Fury never let him at all get into a groove. And what you love about this new Fury with Sugar Hill Stewart is it's more about the mindset that it is about sitting on the punches and committing to the right hand. The training's working. The committing to the commitment of Sugar Hill Stewart to make Tyson Fury into a power puncher, it's working. Absolutely. But He's still got to deliver those blows that will not only gain the respect of the guy across from him, but that can end a fight when the moment is there. This punch by Tyson Fury, uh, which began with a with a lead jab, Fury didn't come back with the right hand right away. It was a lead jab pause. But as he paused enough for Dillian White to come forward, you saw him uncork as beautiful a right uppercut as you could have imagined. What made it so devastating was the speed and the timing. And that's really Tyson Fury's calling card in reality, right? That uppercut knocks out every single heavyweight in the world today because of the unlikeliness of it, the speed of it, and the fact that he caught White on the chin and buzzed him so hard. 
White's as durable as they come. He survived that one-punch knockout loss to Alexander Povetkin and knocked him out the next time. He's down on his back. He's nearly out cold. Now, White did struggle to get back to his feet, but when he was unable to really settle himself, Mark Lyson, rightfully so, waves off the fight uh, at the end of that 10 count, and, and here we are. This Tyson Fury is, is, is dangerous as shit, <laughs> to be frank with you. Pardon my French. Uh, this is not the guy who came back last fall from an 18-month layoff and looked rusty against Deontay, a determined Deontay Wilder in their trilogy fight and really had to lean on guile and, and, and you know, uh, anything that's inside of him to, you know, he had to travel back, right? In, he's in the lineage of the, of the, of the bare knuckle champions from the Irish travelers, you know, uh, culture. And he had to dial back to that whole idea of him being a fighting man, as he always says. Oh, he is a fighting man. He dialed back there to beat Deontay Wilder and end that trilogy. But this version of him, the guy who you heard on the ESPN Plus pay-per-view broadcast, did a 12-week training camp. Not a six, not an eight. Did a 12-week training camp for Dillian White because he knows how dangerous this guy is. That version that can get the other heavyweights out of there. It, it, it's what makes the historical conversation when you involve Tyson Fury so fun. Because it's it's different to look back at a Rocky Marciano who's what five ten, right? You know, who who's like nearly, you know, barely two hundred pounds soaking wet, if that. I'd have to look up, but you you know what I'm talking about the size difference in history and go, okay, Marciano was great for his era, but how does he compete with a Vitali Klitschko? How does he compete with a Lennox Lewis? The interesting thing about doing the mental math with Tyson Fury and trying to figure out where he ranks right now historically and how he would compete in any of these mental mythical matchups against Muhammad Ali, Joe Lewis, what, you know, what have you, Jack Johnson is we've never seen anyone like this absolute alien before who like I mentioned is six foot nine with ridiculously long arms yet has the, the quick feet of a middleweight has the IQ of a, of a, you know, I don't want to say of a Mayweather, but you get my point of a truly elite boxer who's always one step ahead of his opponents, but now has the power, the practice power to get a guy like Dillian White out of there. To beat Dillian White, you're pretty much going to have to get him out of there because normally when Dillian White's not facing somebody with an 85-inch reach who's five inches taller than him, he's able to push that work rate, right? CompuBox, statistically, Dillian White is the second busiest active heavyweight today in terms of uh, punch output and punches landed per round. They completely shut that down. This version of Tyson Fury at age 33, which is young for a heavyweight, he might be a top 10 heavyweight all time right now. And, you know, does he have the resume to, 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 to enter that conversation? You could argue because Tyson Fury's career has been so weird and unique with the nearly four years off for depression and, 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 and drug abuse that he did after the Klitschko win where he, he, you know, gave up on his titles and himself and his career and came back. And, and there's, you know, we didn't get to see him against Anthony Joshua at the time that would have made the most sense. And, and he was caught in a, three fight deal with, with Deontay Wilder, which ended up being exciting as crap. But you know, that third fight was, was just Deontay Wilder kicking in the court uh, in, you know, mandatory and, you know, going literally going to the legal system to make that third fight happen. Have we seen him against enough elites? Well, no, but the elites that we have seen Tyson Fury against the, the two wins against a very tough out in Derek Chisora, the dismantling of Vladimir Klitschko at the peak of his powers, the three victories, no, not two because of that draw. It's not a draw in reality. The three victories over Deontay Wilder in which he endured hella punishment and got knocked down four times in three fights, yet won all those. And now a guy like Dillian White with that type of finish, you know, he's throwing out of and he's got a couple other good, decent wins there. But 
for whatever he lacks in the total amount of great wins, the eye test is hard to freaking overcome. And that's why I don't believe for a second and haven't believed for a second at all that Tyson Fury is done. And that's why these mixed messages that ended up coming out in the ring at Wembley Stadium today, tonight after these fights, it, it's still kind of hard to juggle. So let me recap that. Tyson Fury wins. He goes to the microphone. He, he praises up Stuart Hill, uh, Sugar Hill Stewart. Well, you know, rightfully so. But then he says, look, I promised my wife Paris that I was going to retire after the third Wilder fight. I, you know, we didn't necessarily know that at this point. But he broke that promise, he says, because of the money offered and the opportunity to fight once again in front of his fans in the UK. I think he watched from a distance, right? Because remember, Tyson Fury was out of boxing when Anthony Joshua came up. Then Tyson Fury has a trilogy fight over three, you know, over three years, three fights with Wilder all in the US. Yet what's Anthony Joshua doing? He's selling out stadiums in the UK. He's fighting in front of 90,000 people. He's a rock star. He's coming out like he's Dwayne The Rock Johnson with the AJ behind him letters and the flamethrower to light it up. I think Tyson Fury really wanted to be a part of that scene, really wanted to show that I am a bigger draw. I am the draw, right, of this era, of this of this boxing game. Okay, we got Canelo too. We've got some other fighters, but heavyweight boxing is different. Heavyweight boxing in the UK, boxing at all in the UK, boy, is that different. So Fury proved that point. But he's 33 years old, and this might be the best performance we've ever seen out of him. You're telling me he's going to walk away. When he's what, within a year of potentially getting a chance to, for the first time in this four belt modern era to fight for the undisputed championship, all four belts, you're telling me he's going to walk away with this much money at the other line? No, he's not. I'm sorry. He's not. He said it. He said, I made a promise to his wife, but I think this is a different level promise than Habib Nurmagomedov in MMA promising his mother and father, right? His late father, the honor of his late father, that he's going to be done at a certain point. Bernard Hopkins once famously fought promised his mother he wouldn't fight after age 41. And, and what did he do? He kept breaking that promise. He fought till he was 50, right? You know, he set all these records. Tyson Fury's not going anywhere. The question, though, the real question, is what is exactly next for him? And how much, how long will he actually step aside? And what I mean is this. When I say he's not going anywhere, until I see him get on a camera and say, I'm vacating this WBC title and this lineal slash ring magazine title which if you don't know what that colorful belt means it just means in this day and age of boxing where there's too many belts right there's four major champions per division yet there's all these other belts that mean various things including that white wbc union jack belt which means bullshit right it means absolutely nothing it's pretty to look at but the the whole idea of the lineal ring magazine champion it's the guy who beat the guy it's a way in this proliferated era of too many belts to declare one champion the real champion why is fury the real champion at heavyweight because he beat the last guy who was the unified champion and had all the power, and that was Vladimir Klitschko. But even Vladimir Klitschko didn't collect all four titles and become the undisputed champion in this four-belt era. We've had undisputed heavyweight champions in the three-belt era, right? We've had a Holyfield. Lennox Lewis took that from him. I mean, we've had that before. But Fury's got that chance at history. So until he's giving up those titles, like he did when he canceled the Vladimir Klitschko rematch in 2016, and did just that, vacated the titles and then went on a four-year bender, more or less. Um, he's not going anywhere. But the, the real confusing slash potentially interesting slash do we really need this moment was when he welcomed Francis Ngannou into the ring after this victory, the reigning and defending UFC heavyweight champion, who, of course, we all know uh, his contract is expired. 
Francis Ngannou at the end of this calendar year can be free to go from the UFC as he recovers from a knee injury, despite, you know, unifying these titles against Cyril Ghosn in his last bout. Um, could Francis Ngannou say, hey, sorry, UFC, but I, I got to go fight. I got to go box Tyson Fury in this unique heavyweight champion in boxing versus heavyweight champion in MMA. Who's the baddest man on the planet? Would Tyson Fury do that in the interim as we wait out what happens in the Anthony Joshua Alexander Usyk rivalry where the three belts, the WBA, the IBF, and the WBO belt are located to, and make a lot of money in a spectacle that I'm sure ESPN pay-per-view would love to be part of. Why? Because Tyson Fury co-promoted by top rank fights on ESPN. UFC, ESPN also has the UFC deal. Uh, you know, the fans are conditioned to know that that's a, a big time home of combat sports along with Showtime, along with other places. Um, is that, could that fight happen? Yeah, yeah, hell yeah, it could happen. There's nothing stopping Tyson Fury from making a huge easy payday. Easy in theory, obviously, when you take a a, a fighter with big power like Ngannou, but doesn't have the, the boxing sophistication, right? To, to land one big shot and, and, and do this. I mean, you know, you never say never till you see it, but Tyson Fury's doing what he just did to Dillian White. Good God, what could he do to Fred Singano? The whole question is, even if Tyson Fury gets that fight and makes that money and does the spectacle, would he be willing to walk away for good, even with, you know, WWE calling or acting or whatever else is calling, and let the winner of Anthony Joshua and Alexander Usyk stand up and say, I'm the unified heavyweight champion. I have three of the four belts. I'm the guy. I mean, would he be willing, would Tyson Fury really be willing to give away that WBC title? Let somebody else make that history in front of, you know, a hundred thousand fans in a UK soccer stadium and be the one face, one name, one champion of this elite, sexy glamor division. And if you don't know it now, you know that, you know, the saying is, as the heavyweight division goes, so does boxing because heavyweight boxing is the gateway drug. It's, it's, more or less the reason all of us ever first came to boxing through the Rocky movies or through Mike Tyson or through the great nineties era of all those great champions, you know, that it's heavyweight boxing. So you're telling me he's going to stay away. No, fuck, no chance, no chance in hell. Vince McMahon, WWE, no chance. So I think the question is more about, is this a, a partial bucket list thing? Is this a way for Tyson Fury to bring on even more generational wealth than the 30 plus million he just won, you know, with the win bonus in this one. And you're telling me at age 34 next year, he's not, no, he's going to do it. He's going to fight for the undisputed title. So look, crazy things can happen. No one expected Fury to, to go on the four-year bender he did after the Klitschko fight. He's had as unique a life and career run as anyone. I mean, let's not forget, he's named Tyson Fury because he was born while Mike Tyson was heavyweight champion in the 1980s. And his dad said, this boy right here, the one who barely survived birth, by the way, and had all these health complications, he's going to go on to win the heavyweight. Champion. I mean, that's Cinderella storybook stuff right there. That guy is not going to step aside and let other people make history in his house. And by his house, I mean the sport, the division, potentially England, which, you know, that draws insane crowds. And, you know, you're going to let AJ come back and maybe knock out Usyk or let this Ukrainian wizard, this boxer, Alexander Usyk, who was the undisputed cruiserweight king, do the same at heavyweight? No, you're not. You're going to go back in there and prove that you're the, the heavyweight of this era. A mantle, again, I believe he's already secured. And you're going to prove that you may be as hard to figure out historically where you belong 
as anyone we've ever seen before. And some of it will inevitably be, as I mentioned, that Fury won't get to fight as many big names given how, how weird his career has been that you're like, okay, does he have the same resume as an Ali? No. You know, Lennox Lewis, even no, maybe not. You know, like Holyfield, no. But, but again, when you're doing the mythical matchup in your head, how in the damn hell does any heavyweight champion in the history of boxing, any, go in there against a six foot nine Tyson Fury and be fully confident that they got this. And again, going back to my earlier point, that's the hard thing you have to consider when you're comparing eras, when you're saying 2000 Shaquille O'Neal with the Lakers, right? Winning the MVP, crushing the championship, unguardable. What does that guy look like guarding George Mikan in 1954? Uh, you mean back in the era when we had eight NBA teams and, Half of the centers are balding six foot eight white guys who are smoking cigarettes at halftime and keeping part-time jobs as, as insurance salesmen in the off season. Yeah. You can't compare eras in that sense. Just like, as I said earlier, you can't compare Rocky Marciano and his height and where he was in his era to the super heavyweights of today. But just like saying, you know, what era could LeBron James compete in? Uh, every single one he's six foot eight guard forward who can play every position and, and, you know, F around and get a triple double any night he wants. That's heavyweight Tyson Fury in these mythical matchups. I mean, you know, it's not just leaning again on the size, the skill, and now, and now the, the establishment of legit heavyweight knockout power. It's that other intangible. He's a fighting man. Exactly what him and his wild, crazy Gypsy John Fury dad says are true. Tyson Fury rising up like the Undertaker in the first Wilder fight in round 12. Tyson Fury even coming back from that four-year bender. Tyson Fury, you know, getting up from two knockdowns in round four against Wilder just last year in their trilogy bout. He has the, the salt. He has the, the, the bait and tackle down there. He has the balls. The, the backbone, the chin. You know, this is not your boy BC making a hipster argument that maybe we're watching the greatest heavyweight of all time. That's not, it's not me saying that. I'm saying open up your eyes to what we do have. A guy that's getting increasingly harder to, to keep out of these larger discussions because, again, of that mental mythical matchup of what are these guys? Even the great Lennox Lewis, arguably the first true super heavyweight of the new era at six foot five who can box and punch. And he only had two defeats and he avenged both by knockout wins. Like, you know, even that guy, what's, what's he going to do with Tyson Fury? I've never seen, we've never seen a guy like this. You know, it's, it's, it's like, forget six foot eight LeBron James. We're starting to see NBA players who are seven, three and can handle and shoot threes. Like those guys in the past, they never seen anything like this. Tyson Fury is as special an athlete when you take into account his personal story and his gregarious charm and the karaoke singing as this sport has ever seen. And this sport of boxing has seen a lot of wild and wacky shit. You know, a lot of superstars, a lot of people who, when they are the heavyweight champion, now granted in different eras when the sport of boxing was considered on a worldwide basis and specifically in the States as, you know, a sport of kings, as a at, at no worse, the third biggest sport behind, you know, baseball and horse racing. And at times, at times when it's Joe Lewis versus Max Schmeling too, and half of the world is sitting by a radio cheering, you know, for their side of the, of the war to win this boxing match. There's times when boxing takes over, 
the front page stories, not just sports, but of life, of culture, of news. And I'm not sure we've had it as unique a character of what we're seeing right now in Tyson Fury. Uh, does he beat Anthony Joshua or Alexander Usyk with the same level of ease that he's seemingly doing outside of the Wilder trilogy, which look, Deontay Wilder's punching power is going to be a nightmare for everyone in history, whether you beat him or not. Um, it, it, I don't know. I, I would favor him. I would love to see him against a boxer like Usyk, who's 6'3", doesn't have big power, but certainly can 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 be quick and come up with a game plan and just out-chess you. And just like we'd love to see him against a, a reformed Anthony Joshua, who brings big power, brings the big star value. I mean, could you know, if they did, if they did 94,000 tickets for this, Right. I always said if you did 80,000 tickets, which they did for Carl Frotch and George Groves, no disrespect to St. George Groves. He's not a household name outside of the UK. You're doing 80 K for that. You did 94 K for this. Could you do 300 K? If you find a cornfield big enough, you probably could. Fury versus Joshua would be the biggest fight. And Fury would be favored against any of these guys. So that's why I get so fired up on the, well, well, he did say he was retiring. Okay. <laughs> right. Do you know what else Tyson Fury said? Go watch his interviews. Okay. On the right day, he says, he remember that time ahead of the second Wilder fight? He said, I masturbate seven times a day. That's my secret. I mean, he says bullshit, but the thing that's not bullshit at all is, uh, is him, is his viability, is him being the heavyweight of this era, is him being an absolute, um, legitimate pound for pound fighter. I think I had him what ranked fifth coming in and it's in You say, okay, what does that really mean here? The pound for pound list in theory was created to have a way to, to, to register and rank anyone who wasn't a heavyweight. Because in a mythical matchup, Sugar Ray Robinson at the peak of his career as a welterweight and middleweight, you know, he's not going to get in there against Joe Lewis and win. So we need a pound for pound list to try to compare. And because of that, heavyweights rarely make this list. Because the mythical idea is if they were, you know, if Tyson Fury matches up with, uh, you know, Terrence Crawford in the same division and they have the same advantages that they have over their respective divisions against one another. That's why you have Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence ranked above a guy like Tyson Fury because they're much more skilled. But Fury's making this argument not as easy as it used to be because he's so damn skilled. Um, something special going on here. Uh, wow. There's 30 minutes of thunder, thunder from you from your boy BC. Uh, if you've got questions, you can drop them into the comments. We may be able to hit up a few and hit it here. But uh I, I'm still blown away. I'm still blown away that he can one punch someone like that. That Tyson Fury at six nine, never known as a puncher, can do that. You don't do that to Dillian White. You can Alexander Povetkin one punched him. Dillian White went twelve and one on this thirteen fight stretch since his 2015 loss to Anthony Joshua, where he hurt Joshua big time, and then uh, rallies back. You know, Joshua rallies back and finishes him. White's beat all the guys you have to beat to get to this point. And Fury made it look that freaking easy. <laughs> uh, yeah, do we have, a, we don't have a comparison to this, right? We, we've never seen this before. Um, so Tyson, if you're listening, don't go away. I mean, you know, you want to make that, make that money player against Francis Ngannou if you have to. Do I care about that fight? Not at all. There are some weird, you know, hybrid MMA versus boxing matches, then maybe, you know, you had Jake Paul in the midst of that. I mean, like, look, tomorrow, if they make Jake Paul versus Mike Tyson. Are you going to care? 
I don't care what you say up front. You're going to care on the back end. You're going to be there watching it, right? This ain't that, okay? Would I, would, would I have a little bit of care? Okay. But Tyson, you want to make your money in that against Francis? Oh, that's fine. But when that all gets sorted out between Usyk and Joshua, you're going to be there. We're going to be there. That is the biggest fight you can make in this sport. Even if Floyd and Manny came back at their age now for a second meeting, even with Spence Crawford, the welterweight undisputed championship between two unbeatens that history has demanded and that this generation deserves, Tyson Fury versus the winner of Fury Usyk 2 is, is bigger. And uh, that is where we're at. Uh, our, our great producer, Mikey Mormile on the ones and twos. Do we have any questions to throw up here to, 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 to get the people involved? Or am I just hitting you with 30 incredible uh, minutes of, of let's go from Jesse here. Uh, BC, why didn't the promoters stack this card with their high level boxers? I struggle to understand why they put a bunch of, yeah, it was mediocre. It was, it was shit. This on this pay-per-view undercard was absolute shit. And um, it's not that that hasn't happened <laughs> in recent years. Not that that hasn't happened in every network in recent years. Uh, even sometimes you can argue that the UFC, when they have an absolute, hammer in the main event commercially like a conor mcgregor yes they tend to not load up the undercard keep that overall value of the prices down look tyson fury is getting paid you know 28 million whatever it was you know uh dillian white's getting paid a career high seven and a half million the winner got the four million extra bonus it, it is hard with those type of purses that's maybe why most of even Floyd Mayweather's pay-per-views, with the exception of the Canelo one when he had Danny Garcia and Lucas Matisse in the co-main, you know, never never had a killer undercard. It is hard. This one was as shite as possible, okay? Yeah, we had Tommy Fury, uh, Tyson's younger brother, struggling to a victory uh, by decision and really not looking all that good, you know, in any type of idea if he ever fights Jake Paul again. I don't, I don't really care. But um, the undercard blue... You had to know that coming in, but either way, the the atmosphere, that ring walk from Tyson with the songs weaving in and out of each other and the big screen, I mean, it was special. And whether you're Luke Thomas and you want to throw up every time the Brits sing uh, Sweet Caroline or not, that main, that main event, the, the spectacle of it, it was worth it in the end. Uh, let, let's go back to the fans here one more time, if we can, Mikey, from Alexander. Uh, given White's performance there, is it fair to say that Wilder is now the favorite in any potential matchup between himself and both Dillian White and Anthony Joshua. That is a, a great debate and one that, you know, even my brethren at CBS Sports were debating while this fight was going on. The whole idea of, you know, did Dillian White disappoint in this fight? With Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dillian White disappointed. I told you Dillian White was probably going to maybe knock Fury down en route to getting stopped late and losing. But he looked like that because it's Tyson Fury at six foot nine with that speed and power. How would Dillian White look against those two? I think he, he'd look great. He's 34 years old. Has he, has he been through, you know, has he been knocked out? If he, yeah, absolutely. Been knocked out, what, three times now? Including once, to, you know, by Pavekin cold, including this one violent. But uh, I think he gets inside on Deontay Wilder. We don't know if Wilder's even coming back. I tend to believe Wilder eventually comes back at least once for big money. Maybe once we do crown an undisputed king, could Wilder be a perfect, you know, opponent coming off a long layoff? Yeah, absolutely. Wilder may end up knocking Dillian White out because White is so aggressive in getting inside. But against Wilder, Dillian White will get inside in ways he was unable to do against Fury, because where are you going to find an alien who has that quickness, length, and, and you know, and everything? The understanding of how to maul the mauler, as I mentioned earlier. Anthony Joshua is a little bit interesting, right? Because their first fight was back in 2015 before Joshua became the champion when he knocked out Charles Martin. And like I said, they were amateur rivals, a lot of trash talk there. 
And Joshua got hurt early, which which happened a, a lot on his rise. And it still happens today. And he rallied back from that. A rematch between Anthony Joshua and Dillian White under any circumstances, titles or not, both coming off a loss or not, I still think at this point is a – I don't want to say pick them because I think you have to favor Anthony Joshua for a bunch of reasons. But that, that's a tough fight. Dillian White's, again, getting inside on Anthony Joshua. Even though Joshua's 6'6", you can get inside on him. You can pressure him. And Dillian White, I think, would take that chance of getting KO'd like he did in the first meeting to do that. I believe we got one more question from the people that are watching live. Of course, you can check this after the fact. And that comes from the Hoodoo Man. Wow, Hoodoo. Uh, where do you wank Fury, Fury all time? You heard me debate that. Um, debate the idea of that, at least. I think he's top 10, yes. And you have to understand how many great heavyweight champions of all time are not in the top 10 because you can only have 10. So it's like, okay, who do, you know, I don't have a working top 10 per se, but I've considered Joe Lewis to be the greatest heavyweight champion of all time. And people either consider typically, typically Lewis or Muhammad Ali. The defense for Lewis, of course, is that is the, the records, the amount of title defenses, the length of his title run, 11 plus years straight as champion. Uh, you know, the, the did he do, is there a bum of the month club element in there? Well, to a degree, yes, Joe Lewis didn't fight in the craziest era of all time by any means. And yes, back then, guys were busier, guys fought cans in between. Joe Lewis handled his business. Ali could be. You could do it seriously. Ali could be your number one pound for pound fighter of all time. And no one's going to argue you, right? Like people will say Sugar Ray Robinson, you know, Roberto Duran, Joe Gans, uh, you know, uh, there's so many, there's so many Henry Armstrong. There's so many, of course, from a hundred years ago that are in this discussion. Um, but no one's going to, going to kick you out of the room for saying Ali. So if they're one and two, you know, in the three, four, five, six, seven area, I think you have to have Lennox Lewis. You have to have Jack Johnson, George Foreman, um, you could put Joe Frazier in there, although sometimes, you know, Joe Frazier ends up somehow being overrated and underrated at the same time. He lost more than he won against the very best, but obviously was, was an all-time great. And then, you know, you've got the Klitschko brothers who have always been sort of at the back end of the top 10 or not in at all. You've got the the Jack Dempsey's who has to fig figure into this top five, right, or six. You've got Gene Tunney who beat Jack Dempsey twice. I mean, you've got a, a, a great lineage in history here. Um, I'll tell you this though, Tyson Fury belongs in that group. He's never lost. He's taken on tough challenges. He's won in different ways. I mean, you know, it's the biggest sin that happened in, in heavyweight boxing in, in a, in a long time is when Fury did what he did to Vladimir Klitschko. You had a large group of, of media of fans dismissing it because they didn't, they weren't entertained. You heard a lot of people. ESPN's Dan Raphael, uh, Longtime colleague of mine, love you, Dan. But I got back, I got on you back then. I'll get on you again today, you know, saying this fight wasn't a good fight and Fury just fought worse than Klitschko. Fury went in there as a massive underdog and completely uh, rewired Klitschko and short circuited him and really not only made him miss constantly and it was a clinic on hit and not get hit, but was putting it on him to, I think, we're to a level where I think, except for that late rally in the second half of the 12th round. I think Vladimir Klitschko was having flashbacks to, to the Corey Sanders fights and the Lehman Brewster fights in which he got stopped. I mean, I think he, he realized like, I don't want to pay this price because this guy might not be a power puncher, but he knows how to find my chin consistently. That's an all time great win. Klitschko had been on top for, you know, almost as long as Joe Lewis, he was piling up title defenses. That win is, is, you know, that's, that still might be his best win. 
This performance against Stanley White may be the best Tyson Fury we've ever seen. Dominant in different ways. But that win over Klitschko is going to be hard to top. And, you know, for whatever he lacks, as I said, in the totality of those elite wins, those elite wins are great. You know, they're really good. And, uh, and you know, uh, I mean, he's 3-0 and against Deontay Wilder at a time when, you know, not everyone was trying to fight Deontay Wilder. I know Deontay Wilder's limited and he made a lot of excuses in the second fight. But, you know, if Deontay Wilder fought, you know, Joshua White, Lewis, all those guys in succession, even now he's going to win a few of those by knockout because that's how dangerous he is. What's going to hold Fury back in the larger point of this discussion again is the lack of overall total resume which was caused by that four-year break it was caused by the soft matchmaking at times that he had when he needed to just get back in shape after that break and fighting the tom schwartz's whatever the hell that guy's name was surf and safari that other dude i mean you know he fought a few of those like guys but he shows up for the big events and he wins them and if tyson fury keeps fighting and if he becomes the first four belt undisputed champion in this renaissance heavyweight era. And, you know, we already know what he's doing commercially as a monster star. We already know what he's doing affecting people and culture. Okay. Maybe he's not Muhammad Ali level of affecting people and culture, but you know, the mental health stuff, all that. I mean, he's love him or hate him. He gets you to care if he, if he wins that one. Oh, he's top 10. You know, he's, he might be, he might be, is he top five? I mean, it's, in one hand, it's it's hard, you know, it goes to the eye of the beholder, obviously. But in one hand, it's like sacrilege compared to some of those names I mentioned, especially like, you know, how do you discount an Evander Holyfield who, yeah, he lost a lot, but dude, that guy just kept, you know, retooling as a small heavyweight in the beginning of the super heavyweight era and kept finding dramatic ways to come back and win. You know, how do you compare him, Tyson Fury, with a Jack Dempsey? How do you compare him with guys who, again, maybe they weren't in the greatest heavyweight era and just, you know, spoiler alert here, there's basically two good heavyweight eras of all time. That's the thing people always forget. Either whether you're debating if Joe Lewis or Rocky Marciano or even Vladimir Klitschko should be overrated or underrated. The thing we always forget is that there's never really been a consistent large pool of great fighters in this division. You get a lot of big guys, right? You know, you get a lot of failed athletes in other sports like Wilder who come over at last minute, age 19, and pick this sport up. But the 1970s were ridiculous in terms of depth for heavyweight champions and contenders. And obviously the 1990s were, you could argue that the, I mean, look, the nineties were so deep that you can argue it's even better than the seventies and the seventies had the second half of Ali's career had Joe Frazier, had George Foreman, had Ken Norton, right? I mean, they had, you know, uh, Ernie Shavers. They'd had like a, 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 not only a historic group, but some of the biggest fights in this sports history, rumble in the jungle, Thrilla in Manila, the fight, the first uh, Ali Frazier fight at Madison Square Garden. But the 90s had, you know, it was a multi-belt era, but it had multi-deserving all-time great fighters. It had post-Jail Mike Tyson, you know, well, pre at first and then post. It had, uh, you know, Lennox Lewis, Evander Holyfield, second half of George Foreman's career, Michael Moore, Ray Mercer, uh, you know, the, the, the clitch goes coming on at the end of the decade, a bunch of second rate killers that could be champions today, but were just fodder back then. Um, you do have to remember that when you are trying to compare fury to those guys, 
because those guys fought a long time ago, whether you fought in the 40s, 50s, whatever, you tend to just think, oh, well, they, they, they were probably right. That boxing was great then. So they probably fought nothing but Hall of Famers. But that's just not the truth in the history of heavyweight fights. And even in MMA, right? The UFC's heavyweight division has long been the most maligned and sort of, you know, up and down. And, and anyone can win anytime, but nobody puts together long reigns. Um, so if Fury's biggest obstacle in being truly labeled an all-time great is the lack of top-tier elite wins, he is in one of the better eras, though. And I say better with that little asterisk on it because, like, you know, I'm not saying Fury, Joshua, Wilder, Luis Ortiz, Anthony, Andy Ruiz, Dillian White... I'm not saying these guys are better than that group in the 70s or 90s. I'm not saying that we have more than even one fighter who compares with the best heavyweights of the 50s or the 60s or whatever. But I am saying that we have uh, this is a special era, not just because it came on the heels of that awful Klitschko era from 04 to 2015. Again, I don't blame the Klitschkos, but they mopped up in 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 the the shittiest era in heavyweight history, the the legitimate worst era in heavyweight history. And, uh, you know, these new guys kickstarted our love because of their size, because of their charisma, their vulnerabilities, and their willingness, again, to fight one another. And sometimes that got hard. You know, Wilder and Joshua should have already fought each other, you know, when both were unbeaten to unified belts, and it didn't happen. But I think heavyweight championship fights, uh, including with promoters and networks across the street, quote unquote, from each other. I think it's easier to cl to close that gap and make these super fights in heavyweight than any other division because heavyweight demands so much money. This is a monstrous commercial era for the heavyweight boxing division from what Anthony Joshua and Fury are doing over there in the UK, you know, to what Wilder did and, and is doing and, and, and all of these other players that you need to make interesting fights. So I do wonder when it's all said and done, will this era, because of what I mentioned before, which is the lack of consistently great heavyweight eras across the board, will this era, the 2010s, this Renaissance era, end up being like almost overrated or, or appreciated and loved like a fine wine because the sport was back again commercially so much? I do wonder. And if that happens, it's going to make Fury's resume look even better. And I'm telling you this, for as vulnerable as Anthony Joshua is, and he is, we've, we've seen him now lose twice, right? We've seen him get hurt in a lot of his biggest wins. And that's, by the way, that vulnerability, like, I don't, I don't look at that as a negative. Like it's exciting as crap to watch him because he's either going to get or got, got right. If he comes back in, in let's say knocks out Usyk to regain the champion. I mean, you're, that you're starting to have for Anthony Joshua, a career like what made as I said earlier, Lennox Lewis and Evander Holyfield's career is so great. You know, the ability to take big losses and big fights, but make sure that you're fighting everyone in your era. And, you know, Joshua hasn't done that yet. Hasn't fought Fury, haven't fought Wilder. But the whole point is, you know, trying to clean out your era. Okay, maybe you had a few L's or, or a couple, you know, missteps, but you always came back and endured. If Joshua beats Usyk in the second fight, it's going to do a lot for how we think of him historically because he came back and regained his titles against Ruiz and that's not easy to do. It's really not easy to do. So you take that, you mix with the history Alexander Usyk is starting to make. This era is fun. It's it's special. Is it going to be great? Uh, it, it, I don't know. I don't know. You know, let the, the, how does it get great? You need what both the 70s and 90s had is not only the deep group, 
but the willingness of that deep group to consistently fight one another. You know, I mean, what, what heavyweight fights did we not get in the 90s outside of? Outside of Bo versus Lewis, because Bo avoided it, and then the Bo versus Tyson thing never happened as the Tyson versus Foreman thing never happened, but there's reasons why they never ended up crossing paths. It's like you almost got everything you ever wanted. If we end up with everything we ever wanted in this era, and it's going to take not only Fury fighting for the four belts, but again, it's going to take Wilder coming back and fighting Joshua under any circumstance. It's going to take Usyk fighting all these guys. That happens. It's going to raise the rent of the 2010s of the heavyweights. And if Tyson Fury is the last guy standing, and particularly if he goes the distance undefeated, try, try to keep him out of top five all-time heavyweight. Uh, seriously, try to. Recency bias included. Try to, right? It's interesting. It's fun. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if I'm right or I'm a buffoon and you're at home going, I know so much more than this, this, this dipwad. I should be sitting in that seat. Um, the fact that we're having these discussions, like you don't realize how fun this is. Were you guys awake between 2004 and 2015 when Sultami Bragamov, God bless his soul, and, and Ruslan Chagayev and, you know, uh, who, who's that other guy? I mean, yeah, who was that other guy? There was a bunch, Sir, Serhei Lyakovich. Okay, Lyakovich versus Lehman Brewster, a, a, a ball's bonanza. Outside of that, those fights sucked. Those fighters weren't historically relevant. That was that was not fun, okay. Heavyweight boxing was not cared about. You could even back then you could sometimes you couldn't even get it on TV. Like HBO at times was like, "Sorry, Vladimir Klitschko, we might not want to put your fight on TV this time." You know, you're not getting those rings. Nobody cared. We got a lot to care about. We got a lot to debate about. It's going to make barbershops fun. It's going to make the water cooler fun. It's going to make you sitting in your car or wherever you are listening or watching me. It's going to make this discussion fun again. That's because of what we have, and that's because of Tyson Fury as the face of what we have. And maybe that's the perfect button to put on it and come full circle here as I preach to you uh, why heavyweight boxing's back, why the sport of boxing is so fun again after that great calendar year last year and the fun that we're having to kick things off. We have options again, right? We have options again. You know, boxing, as Larry Merchant once famously said, you, you know, you can't save it, but you can't kill it. It is a, a, a recurring, you know, uh, and it's back. Heavyweight's back. And I love it. I love it. My name is Brian Campbell. I have approved this instant analysis show on Morning Combat. Please like and subscribe to what we do if you want a little bit more of this wackiness. My co-host, Luke Thomas, if you like the MMA side, he will be providing this evening a Bellator instant analysis of all things from their two shows in Hawaii. Nobody does it like this award-winning duo. So if you're new to this, stay on board. We got a lot more coming your way in combat sports and beyond. I got to go towel off, right? I got to go, you know, smoke a proverbial cigarette. Um, Tyson Fury knocks out Dillian White with one punch in round six. What a time to be alive. BC, okay? Signing off.